Connecticut, and for those of you that are watching <clears throat> live online, um, I know we have a larger audience today online. Um, several of you have already texted saying we're watching. So um, I decided we were uh, sort of going back and forth. Should I just uh, teach something from the scriptures today differently than I had planned um, and do next week on the whole God's design for sexuality? But uh, we decided that uh, we would just go with it. And then I would teach on it and do what I had planned because people that really want to be involved can watch it online, right? And we know that you are based on how many responses we've already had this morning. So if this is your first time here today, uh, we're just delighted that you've chosen and honored that you've chosen to come um, to Metro Believers Church. Uh, and we're glad that you're here. As many of you know, um, we have really been talking about this weekend, uh, sexuality everywhere. We've been in a conference, many of us, um, the pastoral team, the trustees, the, uh, some folks from NBC, and all kinds of different churches all over the city have been at a seminar conference called Sexuality Everywhere. And so one of the things that we decided to do, all of us pastors, partnering pastors, who were four churches, High Point, City Church, uh, Lighthouse, and Metro, um, that we would teach that Sunday on that topic, okay? Um, also, many of you know that Thursday was what? Valentine's, Valentine's Day. And um, it was, you know, it's time that we talk about, you know, things that are more, a little more intimate. And um, so we, you know, based on that, those two things, I thought I'd take a break from our series called The Rhythm of Life and teach on God's design for our sexuality. If you don't have one of our outlines um, in your guest packet, perhaps you only have one and two of you want one, um, slip up your hands and our ushers will get you one. Uh, today, many of, in case you haven't heard, uh, those of you that are here and those that are watching online, um, in case you haven't heard around here at Metro Believers Church, um, 2019 is the year to rekindle the fire. Amen? We've ta been talking about rekindling the fire. And uh, as I mentioned last week, when I say rekindle the fire, obviously I'm talking about uh, rekindling the fire for God. And how many of you believe that's important? That we need to rekindle our fire, the fire in our bellies for just the things of God. Sometimes we get so distant you know, we lose our first love, as Revelation talks about. We get so distant from the things of God, we let other things take its place. But this is the year that I'm challenging us as a church to rekindle the fire in our belly for the things of God first, and then rekindle the fire for other areas of our life. We all have areas of our life that perhaps we were once passionate about, and for some reason... Um, we are no longer. We're, we're sort of casual, we're sort of numb, we're sort of dull to those things. And, and one of those things perhaps is, is perhaps your marriage. And I just want to challenge us, those of us that are married, and as singles, just so you know, um, whether you're watching online or, or here today, as singles, you know, these principles apply to life, okay? And so if, if you're here today and you're single, and uh, I'm talking about being married, uh, don't tune me out and say, oh, he's just talking about married people. No, these principles, the basic principles I'm sharing today, although they apply to marriage, and I'm going to speak primarily about marriage, 
They apply to, to individual principles in people's lives. And you can interpolate um, how you need to. How many of you know you can do that? <laughs> and what makes sense and, and how it fits your particular scenario. And so I want to challenge you uh, as married couples to restore. Let God restore. Everyone say restore. restore. Think about what that word means. Let God restore the thing about your spouse that caused you to be originally attracted to them. Uh, sometimes we, we get fixated on what they're not instead of what they are. And so, you know, I, I, I'll never forget one time we were at a conference and, and uh, we were listening to someone and they said, you know, they'll sit down and talk to a couple that you know, our newlyweds, and they'll, they'll go on and on and on about um, who their, their spouse is and all their wonderful traits. And then they'll sit down with the, someone else that had been married for maybe 20 years or so, and they'll talk about what their spouse isn't. <laughs> what happens? We just let the fire go out. It's just like our fireplace at home. It's, you know, sometimes Vicki and I will put a raging fire in the fireplace, and, and we'll just get so relaxed, we'll will sort of doze off, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's safe, you know, if the doors are closed and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we wake up and there's just a couple of embers. <laughs> and we've, we sort of let the fire go out, right? And for some of you, you may have let the fire go out in your relationship. And, and I just challenge you to return, return, and let God restore and rekindle the fire that's, that perhaps once burned brightly. So let's talk about sex, okay? Let's talk about, let's talk about what God's perspective of this whole idea is. And some think that God doesn't understand sex at all. I mean, for real. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people. I've counseled people for pretty much 40 years, you know, in, in ministry, 39. Uh, but before that, we were doing a lot of, a lot of uh, intersecting with couples and people and talking about their lives, and, and some, some think sex came after the fall, you know. It's one of those things that kind of came after, after, you know, Adam and Eve fell, and that God didn't have anything to do with it. And, but the truth is, God created us to enjoy sex. Amen? Within, now let me, let me, let me make sure I put some parenthetical perspective on here, within the safety and the confines of a monogamous relationship called marriage, okay? God, God created us to enjoy sex. He's not a cosmic killjoy, just so you know. He doesn't want to rain on your parade, okay? Um, he wants you to enjoy. Everyone say enjoy. He wants you to enjoy sex. God created us to be sexual beings. But the enemy has found his way to, to pervert this whole idea of sexuality. Um, and he wants to lock up people uh, with all sorts of lust and temptation. And the church, I believe the church has been silent far too long on this subject. And we've tried our best over the years to, to, to somehow fit it into our schedule to talk about it because it's not going away, in case you hadn't seen that. It, the whole idea of sexual temptation and lust and passion outside of marriage and all that kind of stuff, it, it's just not going away. And the world, the world has been very vocal about pushing 
their belief and their agenda about this whole idea of sexuality. So you're hearing it from the wrong source. It's just like us parents not talking about this to our kids, the subject, and expecting them to learn everything about sexuality at school. In other words, they're getting it from the wrong source. And I believe in the church it's the same thing. They're, they're getting it from the wrong source. And as Christians, I think we need to stop bowing to the pressure of our culture and allowing them to dictate what we think or believe about this subject matter. We live in a twisted, mixed-up world. How many of you understand that? Very twisted, very mixed up, very crazy. God, but here's the deal. God's Word has a lot to say about the subject. I don't know if you know that. I'm getting a lot of bottoms up here, uh, like some breathing almost. <laughs> it's not heavy breathing, just so you know, okay? <laughs> just so you know, all right? <laughs> but God's Word has a lot to say about the subject of sex, and and I think God's Word is the blueprint. Vicki and I found that out 40-some years ago, that God's Word is the blueprint for a successful marriage. And when we build it on the rock, we build our marriage on the rock, it seems to flourish, right? And rather than just building it on what we think or feel or what society tells us. So I believe God's Word is a blueprint for a great marriage and great sex. Godly sex. Uh, as a matter of fact, most people assume that godly sex is an oxymoron. You know, it's, it's like, what? Godly sex? Serious? I mean, they just, they seem to be contradictory terms. But let's talk about, for just a little bit, God's design for our sexuality. If you start reading at the beginning of your Bible, you won't have to go very far until you come to the topic of sex. This is the Bible. Everyone say, this is the Bible. And as you start to read it, you'll find that God's Word, I mean, as a matter of fact, it was talked about this weekend, it starts with a wedding, and in Revelation, it ends with a wedding. God loves marriage, right? We're talking about the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you are going to be there? Can I see your hands, Okay. All right, and so uh, it talks about sex, second chapter. Yeah, matter of fact, look at this in your notes or on the screen. Um, we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, and here's what it says. Then God made a woman, and I want you to underline that or highlight that word, and brought her to a man, everyone underline that, and, and he said, this is it, Adam exclaimed. The man and his wife were both naked, <laughs> or naked, but neither were embarrassed or ashamed. Notice God created an, a man and a woman to come together. Adam's first reaction when he saw his wife was, whoa, man, and that's how she got her name, woman. <laughs> And it, and it says that Adam and Eve were both naked and they were not ashamed. That's interesting to me. It's uh, because there was no reason to be. Think about that. What does that teach us? What does that tell us they were not ashamed? Well, here's what it tells us is when you're in the kind of relationship that God intended, 
There is no guilt and there is no shame. Amen? And when you're not, there is. And so God, as a husband and wife, wants to take you back to the garden for real. He wants to take you back to innocence so that you're not embarrassed and you're not ashamed and you don't have to live a guilt-ridden life. The Bible talks about marriage in this context, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexual immoral, and the sexual immoral. Notice it talks about God not wanting to judge your bedroom as a couple, husband and wife. He wants it to be blessed. But God doesn't want you to be sexually immoral. That's not good for you. That'll destroy you. That'll destroy your, your, your heart. That'll mess you up. That'll position you for disaster in your future. Well, let me just explain. Let me explain sexual immoral, immoral, immorality. I'm sorry. Um, sexual immorality is basically defined as any sex, any sex acts outside of marriage. And when I say marriage, I define that as between one man and one woman. Okay? That's the, how the Bible defines it. One man and one woman. Which not only includes sexual intercourse, we're talking about sexual immorality, which not only includes sexual intercourse, but all forms of inappropriate sexual touch, sexes, such as fondling, oral sex, and mutual gratification. It's, a, it's sad that we have to define this, but that's where we are in our culture. It's sad that, that people think that they can engage in, in all sorts of other things as long as they don't have intercourse, then they haven't had sex. But that's not what the Bible has to say. Bottom line is, you must learn to control lust or it'll destroy you. How many of you believe that? If you don't control this thing, these urges, the, the things that are inside of you that, 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 that are off and twisted, if you, don't, if you don't decide to own that and control that and, and deal with it and get God's help on these, on these issues, it'll destroy you. So let's, let's talk a little bit about sexuality, and let's talk a little bit about God's design for it. There are three reasons I have in your notes that why God created sex. The first is obvious, and that's to produce children. Pro to produce children, that's the, that's the blank there that you can fill in. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply or increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's the only commands that I think us as humans have been able to keep. <laughs> Some of you have been pretty fruitful. <laughs> yeah, I, think about, I think about the marbles. They, they got their, their quiver like over full. <laughs> no, it's just right, right? <laughs> uh, and some others, you know, you got your, you've been able to keep that command, right? We've done a pretty good job at, at, at this one, but the sad thing is that most people miss the other perspectives in why God created sex. Uh, they think that this children thing is the only, only benefit of sexuality or sex between husband and wife. They've not realized the other two benefits. The second one is to promote unity. So you have the first one being to have children, the second being to promote unity. God invented sex to promote, to promote unity between a husband and wife. 
I mean, we, we see this at, at weddings when we, we do the whole unity candle thing. It's sort of a symbolic to what we're talking about here. You, you know, the husband and the wife have their own candle, they light the middle candle, and they blow out their own individual lives. And, and it, it represents symbolically what God has done internally. And so God invented sex to promote unity between a husband and a wife. It is the bond that bonds husbands and wives together. Five times, five different times. And how many of you know when God says something five times, he, he, he wants you to get it? He, when, you, when God repeats himself five different times, he's trying to get you to understand some things. And five different times in Scripture, it says, in Mark 10 is one example, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be divided to his wife, Right? What does it say? Will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but they are what? They're one, right, they're one. Here's what I found out. Sex is the physical expression of a spiritual truth. Think about that. It's a, it's a spiritual expression, or a physical expression of a spiritual truth when the two come together as one. There's something powerful when you really think about it, that God wants the husband and wife to be unified. It bonds, the sexual act bonds the husband and wife together in a very exclusive way. Everyone say exclusive. See, that, that's what makes marriage so powerful, is the exclusivity that I belong to her and she belongs to me. No one will ever experience what I experience with her. No one. No one will ever experience what she experiences with me. No one. See, there's that unity. And God created, God created sex to speak to a greater principle of being unity, unified and experiencing intimacy on a whole other level. I found out that God wants all of us, married couples, to experience intimacy on three different levels, spirit, soul, and body. Three different levels. See, a lot of people in, in the married couples experience the physical part of that. They have sex, but they don't have unity. They don't have intimacy, if you will on a, a, a spiritual level. They can't talk about the things of God and really interact over the principles of Scripture or God's godliness or perspectives of Scripture. They can't do that. They can't talk. They can't, some of them can't even pray together. God wants you to be able to do that. That's a whole other level of marriage that God wants you to enjoy as a married couple. And then the whole soul area, your mind, your will, and your emotions. He wants you to be able to open up as a couple to each other and experience intimacy on that level. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, out of the message, Bible says there's more to sex than skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. It is written, the two will become one. That's another place that the Bible talks about that whole idea. And third, Third, the third reason God created sex was to provide enjoyment. That's the fill in the blank there, to provide enjoyment. Some of you are like, what? 
For real? I mean, I'm supposed to enjoy this? Yeah. Yeah. God actually created sex for the mutual pleasure between a husband and wife. I want to uh, recommend a book uh, about this whole idea. It's called Intended for Pleasure. If you haven't read this book, there's all sorts of great books out there um, for uh, sexuality and understanding it and how it applies and all that kind of stuff. This is one of our favorites. We read this back, what, 30 years ago, honey? Easily? Yeah, and so in so many more, the act, act of marriage, intended for pleasure, Solomon on sex is another one. You want to write that one down? But this is one that I think it's $16.99 on Amazon, uh, and I'm not even getting paid to say that. <laughs> but let me say this. Sex was God's gift to you on your wedding day. That, that was God, God wrapped it up in a nice little package, you know, and just think about you going through all your gifts. That was God's gift to you, saying congratulations. I want you to enjoy this. This is for you. Say, are you serious? Well, look at Proverbs for just a minute. I mean, this is the Bible. Everyone say the Bible. This is the Bible. This is, not, this is not me being crude or rude. The Bible, chapter 5 in Proverbs. May your fountain be blessed. You can figure out what that means. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. And may you ever be captivated by her love. That's the Bible. And I, we could go into a whole lot more Bible stuff that, that kind of throws it out there and helps you understand God's perspective on this whole idea. He doesn't freak out when you as husbands and wives have sex. He doesn't hide his eyes. <laughs> oh, myself, you know. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Well, this is only last two minutes. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, you know, God doesn't freak out when you, <laughs> when you as husbands and wives have sex. I mean, perhaps you came from a background that maybe taught that sex was bad or sex was dirty. Vicki and I, when we counsel sometimes with couples, they, they, oftentimes there's been a trauma or, or some sort of an assault or... Um, sometimes it, we're dealing with, with, with women or men, especially women, that perhaps they were taught it was dirty or, or, or it was bad or it was only to be used for procreation. You know, sex was not to be enjoyed, never, never to be enjoyed. But I have a question, I mean, just a basic, simple question. Uh, what, who do you think created those body parts that make you climb the wall? when they're touched appropriately. God. God created you. God designed you. God put those parts there for a reason. I mean, he could have removed those parts and we could have still, you know, had, had children, right? <laughs> Certain parts. You know, those feelings, I should say. Uh, but he didn't, right? Just like God gave us taste buds. He gave us sexuality and sexual desires. 
He didn't want sex to be just for procreation. He wanted it to be a delight. Listen, God wants you to have an incredible, and I like to say this, anointed sex life. But here's the catch with your spouse. Not your girlfriend. Not your boyfriend. Not your neighbor. Not your coworker. Unless you happen to work with your wife or husband. Now, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but with your spouse, he, he wants you to enjoy this thing called an intimacy and sex with your spouse within a committed, exclusive, everyone say exclusive. I love that word. Exclusive relationship called marriage. I, it just sets us apart. And it ho- puts a whole new spin on marriage. Puts a whole new perspective. So let's talk about right thinking when it comes to this whole thing about sex. How to get our minds straight. How to, how, to, how to think appropriately or accurately when it comes to this topic. Let me give you three different things that I think will help. First of all, godly sex is patient. It's patient. If you read uh, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, you'll see that they took their time in lovemaking. They weren't in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Take your time. You have to understand women and men are different. How many of you figured that out by now? Women and men are different. Women are like crockpots and men are like microwaves. All right? Yeah, boom, for a guy, you know. But women, women, it's a whole other, in love, godly sex is patient. It's, it's patient. It's not just a taker. And, and for me, coming out of the background I did before I came to Christ, you know, I sort of, I sort of adopted the taking attitude rather than the giving attitude. So I had to relearn, just so you know. This, you know, I'm not some preacher boy that comes from the right side of the tracks. You know, I, I had a crazy, horrible background that was filled with all sorts of ungodly things. Most of you have heard my testimony. I won't go into it. But I had to relearn this whole perspective on what God thinks about sex. And this whole patient thing was very, very difficult for me to learn because I was a taker, not a giver. I didn't have any models. I didn't. My father, you know, after three or four marriages, you know, and being caught up in all sorts of ungodly sexuality and stuff, my stepfather, the same thing, and everyone around me, all of the male influences in my life viewed sexuality the wrong way. It was a selfishness. It was a taking, not a giving. And godly sex is patient. Second, godly sex is passionate. Godly sex is passionate. Remember, Satan is trying to destroy your capacity for intimacy. And one of the characteristics that I think is important is the characteristic of affirming 
passionate, being passionate and affirming to the other person. Solomon affirmed, you read the story, and I, I really encourage you as husbands and wives, those of you that are single, be careful. You don't want to, you know, arise those, those, those things before it's time, okay? Um, unless you're preparing for marriage. But Solomon affirmed his wife. I mean, he, he said all kinds of things to her about her breasts and her neck and her nose. And sometimes you wonder if that was a compliment or what. If you read the story, you know, long neck, big nose, hook nose, looking over Damascus and so on and so forth. Uh, but back then it was like, whoo, you know, whoo, that's smoking. You know, little breast, right? Twin fawns, right? Um, but at any rate, it was a compliment. It was, listen, she, he affirmed her. Be affirming, be passionate. Little phone calls during the day, you know, text saying, I'm thinking about you. You know, men, sometimes you don't think that way. Put it on your phone as a reminder, okay? Um, you know, helping around the house. Some of you know sex starts way before the bedroom, all right? So one book says sex starts in the kitchen. I don't know about that, but uh, it certain can, certainly can start with a vacuum cleaner in your hand, <laughs> helping with things around the house. It's passionate. Make, make your love passionate towards one another. And third, godly sex is pure. Godly sex is pure. Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. They, it was pure. They lived in the purity of the moment. Keep your marriage bed pure and holy. Don't do things to pollute your intimacy cause you to think less of each other because you've given yourself to things that are inappropriate. Don't fall into the traps of doing things the world's way. One time I, I was talking to a couple about this whole idea and, and they shared that they watched porn while they engaged in sex. That, you, to spice things up. Listen, there are other ways to spice things up. You, you don't need to be impure. You don't need to do things the world's way. There are better ways to spice things up. And so let me just say this, that sex can be a wonderful thing, a wonderful blessing from God, but if you ignore God's instructions, it will destroy your life. Purity needs, needs to be closely guarded. A few years ago in Red Book Magazine, this is interesting, there was a national survey, and they discovered a fact that surprised everybody, Secular Magazine. They discovered that the greater the intensity of spiritual life, the more likely you will be highly satisfied with sexual pleasures. Now, the world wants to tell us that Christians don't know anything about it, that, you know, we don't have great sex. But the fact of the matter is that's not true, <laughs> right? So in other words, sexuality and spirituality go together. The Bible's been saying that for thousands of years. You'll never understand love until you understand God, right? Right? Researchers, turns out, researchers have found out that love is the most powerful aphrodisiac there is. Love. And that love comes from God. Understanding his love for us. 1 Corinthians 14 says, make your love greatest your greatest aim. So let's talk about, in our few minutes we have left, um, six ways to grow in that love for each other as husbands and wives. First of all, love them unconditionally. That's the fill in the blank. Love them unconditionally. 
Every great relationship begins with un, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're imperfect. You've got flaws and you've got warts and a whole lot of other things, okay? And God wants us to love our spouse unconditionally, right? This is what Jesus challenged all of us to do, to love. Listen, there are four different kinds of love. It's, it's not in your notes, but you can write this down in the margin. Four different kinds of love mentioned in Scripture. In scripture. Agape, which is unconditional love. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. And later challenges us to love other people with. Okay, unconditional. Second, storge. Storge, and that's simply an affectionate love. That's an emotional love. You know, it's the kind of love you have when you see a puppy or a small child or, or something that just kind of makes you go ooey gooey, you know. It's an emotional or an affectionate love. Then there's phileo, is the, is the third kind of love mentioned in Scripture. And that's sort of a friendship love. That's a, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's a friendship love. Uh, and then there's, there's eros, the Greek word eros. And that is, that's an erotic love. An erotic love, that's where we get the word erotic from, okay? But God wants us to love each other with an unconditional love, and certainly a storge love, and you can be, have a eros in your marriage. John 13, 34, and 35 says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. But he doesn't stop there. He said, love one another, what? Just as I have loved you. And how many of you know he loves us unconditionally? He loves you and he loves me with an agape love. And he's challenging us to love others with an unconditional love. And I would submit to you that we need to do that first and foremost with our spouse. It's, sometimes it's easier to love other people. You know, because we go home with our spouse and we see, we see all their weaknesses and all their inconsistencies and all their, you know, failures and so on and so forth. We don't see some of those in other people. And so it's easier to, to love them than it is our spouse. But God is calling us to love them unconditionally. And that can come in the bedroom too. Is you, you, you don't want to set yourself up where you view sex as a reward as long as they've been towing the line or doing what's good or treating you the perfect way, then you're going to give them sex. <laughs> now love each other unconditionally and don't use sex as something to get your way. Second, commit. Everyone say commit. Commit to them fully. So we want to love them unconditionally. We want to commit to them fully. Great sex is built on absolute trust and commitment. Godly sex is built on absolute trust and commitment. So don't do anything to arouse jealousy. Build trust. Commit to them fully, 100%. Don't give your love and emotion to other people. Don't give your love and emotion to other things to cause your spouse to feel like there's something else out there. I'm talking about commitment. Malachi talks about this commitment 
chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why? Because he was seeking a godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Underline that. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Be careful that you don't break faith or give your spouse a reason to think that you have because you've given your emotions to something other than them. And singles, don't engage in sex without commitment. It destroys God's design and it will never satisfy. Even though you may feel satisfied in the moment over the long haul, it'll mess you up. I believe if you're here today and you're single and you've, you've engaged in this, I believe there's something called secondary virginity. I teach this, I preach this, I believe this. Secondary virginity. I think God can restore what the enemy has stolen. Did you hear me? And so if you're watching online and you're single and you've made mistakes and you've given yourself to people and you know that you need to reel it in, God can restore that virginity between you and him, okay? And he can, as you redraw the lines and the boundaries and you commit to honoring the Lord with your body, God can restore that to the point, I believe, that, and he did it with us, Vicki and I, that on our wedding night, it was like that was the first time ever. Okay? So uh, you do what you want with that, but I believe wholeheartedly in that. Number three, encourage them continually. I'm talking about how to build your love for each other. Encouragement is so incredibly powerful. This means that we're connecting with the the heart of the person by encouragement. Great sex starts before the bedroom, as I said. Build the relationship, not just engage in the activity. Number one enemy in this is time. Time. We never have time. We just want to get it done. It's important for us to understand time is critical, and it's important for us to encourage one another and let it build, let it simmer. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Number four, serve them willingly. And you know, you know how I feel about this. You've been around here, if you've been around here longer than a year, you know how I feel about this subject, serving. Vicki and I out, try to outserve one another. I beat her to the coffee pot this morning, as a matter of fact, and I was able to get her coffee before she got mine. You know, just finding ways to outserve one another. Small thing. But that attitude goes a long way. In the bedroom, serve. Serve. Don't just take, serve. Scripture is clear that the way to make love work is to serve the needs of the others. 1 Corinthians 7 says, the marriage bed must be placed uh, a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Notice, each person is seeking to satisfy the other person, not selfish, but selfless, serving each other. Marriage is not the place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether you're in bed or out. Serve. Learn to serve. Ladies, I understand. It's true that that most men, now this is just... For most people, not all, I don't want you to think that I'm stereotyping everyone, but, but 
scientifically, statistically proven that more men want sex more often than women. And learn, ladies, how to serve your man. Scientific survey, actually, I read, discovered the days that most men like to make love. They discovered that they like days that begin with T, okay? Thursday and Tuesday, today and tomorrow, and Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, ladies, I just want to speak to you. Just be careful about rejecting him. Be careful about rejecting him. It can, get, uh, it can get crazy. When you receive him, it translates into uh, acceptance. My computer just blitzed out at me. It, it translates into love. And I just want to encourage you, don't reject him. It translates, when you do, it translates into sort of an emotional rejection and a humiliation. So ladies, learn. If you reject him too much, he's going to feel like less of a man. I'm just telling you the truth. And my wife, if she was up here preaching, she would tell you the same. She's taught this subject before. And that's why so many men look for other places to feel like a man. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but it's true. I'm not giving guys you an excuse to let your eyes wander. But I'm telling you, ladies, you can help a whole lot by serving. We're talking about serving here. We're not talking about being abused or all that. We're talking about just being, just serving your husband. And men and women are stimulated in different ways. Men, it's the eye gate, and women, it's the ear gate. Some of you perhaps have never heard that term. Men, it's the eye gate. Women, it's the ear gate. For men, intimacy comes from what is seen. So ladies, just say, stay sexy for your man. Don't go to bed in an earth suit, or space suit, (laughs) you know. Back in the day, it was curlers up in your hair and all house coats, you know. But, yeah, find a way to stay attractive. Women, it's the ear gate. Intimacy comes from what is said. So, men, watch your words. Watch your words. Bless her. Wash her with the washing of the water of your words. Ephesians talks about that. Ephesians chapter 5. So, watch your words. Serve them. Number, number 5. Number five, honor them. If you're going to let your love grow, we're talking about love here, intimacy. Honor them respectfully. Sexual immorality removes the person and uses the person, removes the personhood and uses the person. It makes them an object for selfish pleasure. When we don't do it God's way, when we don't honor them respectfully, be careful, be careful forcing your partner to do things that that they're not comfortable with. Honor them. Honor their wishes. Honor their desires. Honor that. Don't just want to get your way in the bedroom. Don't push them. Make them, them feel cheap. Always respect your spouse and last but not least, love God personally. Listen, 
When you're in a right relationship with God, it brings you into right relationship with other people, especially your spouse. When you love God and you're passionate about the things of God, there's something attractive to a godly marriage. Something attractive about that. When you're not in right relationship with God and you're just playing church, there's a turnoff as well. Listen, as we close today, have Judah and, and Alyssa come. Some of you may feel like God's messing with you about this subject. Some of you are single. Some of you are watching online. You're single or married, and you feel like God's saying, you know what? You've made some mistakes. You've gotten off track, or, or, or you've let things, you've let your guard down. You're, you've caught, you found yourself doing things that you know, you've got guilt going on, you've got confusion, you've got anger, perhaps you've been abused, you've been hurt, or maybe you're addicted. Some are addicted to porn or to other things outside of the context of God, sexual sin. Listen, here, here's, here's the deal. No matter where you're at today, Jesus can heal you. Did you hear me? Let's stand to our feet. Jesus can heal that area of your life. I'm a perfect example of that. Molested, abused on more than one occasion as a child. All messed up in my mind. Inactivity that was so ungodly, it was unbelievable. God has redeemed that. God has restored that. God has given me a mind that's pure and exclusive for my wife. We've been married going on 43 years. And I can tell you, I have never, ever cheated on her once. Never. Never planned to. But before, the, before coming to Christ, that would have been impossible. I promise you, and she knows it, because I had no power to do anything else than I knew and saw. But Jesus, everyone say Jesus, but Jesus is the difference maker. Oh, hear me, church. Hear me, those of you that are listening online. Jesus is the difference maker. He can restore can rekindle. I'm more in love with that woman today than I was 45 years ago. Wow. She still make my liver quiver, just so you know. So let's pray. Jesus, you can give us a fresh start. no one is too far gone that you cannot make brand new if you're listening online or here in this auditorium today and you'd say you know what I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or any of that I just want I just want you to acknowledge this before the Lord you know what I'm, I'm a little off here or maybe a way off I need God's help, and I'm asking for 
for Jesus to heal me. I'm asking, I'm acknowledging that I've made major mistakes and I am not walking in concert with him and his word, his will for my life. And I, I need to get back on track today. And I'm willing to acknowledge that to him. If that's you, would you just acknowledge to him right now? Maybe in your living room or a hotel room or a sport arena where you're watching your kids play sports and you're listening online. Maybe the family's in the car and someone has it on, you're hearing these words. I just pray for you today. I pray for transformation. Pray for the Jesus attitude to prevail in our hearts and lives. Jesus, I pray that you would begin the healing process, those areas of our life that are messed up. And I pray, God, that you would restore and rekindle our love for each other as husbands and wives. And that you'd cause single people to want to honor you with their bodies. Not buy into the twisted version of our sexuality in our culture. Holy Spirit, would you come now, wherever your people are, and impact our lives. We yield and we surrender to you right now in Jesus' name.